If you'd like to turn to Ephesians um, chapter 5, if you've um, brought a Bible or you've got it on your um, device, um, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. Before um, I read that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for your words. We pray that you'd fill us uh, with your spirit as we look at it together. Please teach us and help us to know what it means to live um, by the Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 12 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, so far in our series on the Holy Spirit, we've been looking at who he is, and we've been looking at what he does, the nature and work of the Spirit. And today we're thinking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes Christians have struggled with this. Sometimes we point to a church, and we say, that's a Spirit-filled church. Or we point to a person, we say, that person is spirit um, filled. And sometimes a debate ensues. But what Paul helpfully shows us here, I think, is that if you, if we look at Ephesians 5, is before we go into thinking about the areas of life, about, um, as it says here, about um, marriage and about um, areas such as uh, employment and um, children, before those, before he gets to that, he says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It's quite important because before we begin to think about marriage and relationships and parents and work, a lot of the areas of, of life, isn't it, um, you have to be filled with the Spirit in order to think correctly, rightly about these areas. Paul wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Now what I find really fascinating about this um, verse, verse 18, is that um, what it means to be spirit-filled is that Paul talks about drunkenness. Uh, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what I want to say straight away is I appreciate that for many, alcoholism has been a battle. It's a, it's a daily battle, and maybe it's a battle today for, for some of you. Maybe you have family affected by it. And so I do want to say my illustrations, in my illustrations this morning, I don't want you to think that I'm in any way being flippant about that. It's really important um, that we recognize how difficult um, addiction is. I'm just trying to draw out what Paul is saying to us. So why has Paul um, chosen drunkenness to illustrate here? Well, it's because both there are similarities and differences with being filled with the Spirit. 
If you think back to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when the apostles were, were filled with the Spirit, what does it tell us? It tells us that people thought that they were drunk. Do you remember that? They thought that they were drunk. So being filled with the Spirit is in some ways looks similar to drunkenness, but in other ways, of course, is not, because Paul instructs us here, do not get drunk. A couple of definitions, I think, for us to help us as we understand this. The word drunk means to be saturated, doesn't it? To be controlled by um, alcohol. It means to be soaked in it. And the word debauchery means to be um, spilled or, or to waste things or to squander things. It's um, the same word in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 when the sun goes off um, to a distant land and it says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. So this idea of this word debauchery here is about a waste, a kind of squandering of our time and our energy. It's about inefficiency. You may be sitting there thinking, what's this world has this got to do with being filled with the Spirit? Well, it has actually absolutely everything to do with it to help us illustrate um, what it means to be filled with the Spirit because there are similarities and there are, of course, differences. Now, first of all, first of all, being filled with the Spirit is the opposite to this debauchery. Bizarrely, sometimes um, when we think of spirit-filled person or, or, or church, we think of people actually being out of control or being wild and, uh, and wacky. But that's not what Paul is saying here at all. Paul goes out of his way to contrast um, drunkenness and being filled with the spirit. Being drunk, as we know, is being out of control, isn't it? We've all seen uh, a person who's drunk. What do you see? Their, their movements are, are all out of, of sync. Their balance goes. Um, they're not poised in their conversation. They're not steady. And what's happening is that their energy is being spilled. It's being wasted. It's being inefficient. But now think about the spirit-filled person. A person's life is marked by the opposite, isn't it? Of balance of poise, of control. You have your tongue under control in the areas of life. You're productive, seeking to love God, to love your neighbor, and focused on sharing that love with, with others. See, this isn't so much actually about feelings. It's not so much how you feel. It's about being under the control, control of faculties. A drunk person, a person who is wasted, is totally unaware, aren't they, of their movements and how jerky they are, unaware how they sound, unaware of what they're saying to people around them. Like the prodigal son story, they're squandering their time and their energy and their resources that God has given them. Like a person who um, gets drunk, it's not only inefficient, but it's also totally exhausting. Actually, it's really exhausting. Per a person who, who gets drunk, what happens afterwards, you have to sleep it off, don't you? Um, and you often have to do that over a considerable amount of time. The body has to, and the body and the mind has to repair. Spirit-filled living shouldn't finish up, therefore exhausting us and burning us out. 
There are plenty of Christians who um, think they must be doing spiritually things, doing them, doing them, and doing them, and it's not actually motivated by spirit-filled life. If you think about it like this, Jesus, who who was the most spirit-filled person who has ever walked this earth, what do we see? We don't see him going around like a headless chicken all the time, doing, doing, activity, activity. Uh, There was lots of need around him. There was lots of things that, that people needed. But what did he need the most? He needed to get away, didn't he? He wanted to get up a mountain and, and spend time in, in prayer and in rest and being rejuvenated with time with his father. Think about it. The Spirit knows you and me better than anyone. He's the third person of the Trinity. And as such, he, he's, he isn't going to go and ask you to do more more of you than you can cope with. I think often the to-do lists that we give ourselves come more from an impulse of the people around us rather than an impulse from the Spirit in us. Let's, let's uh, apply it like this. Um, think about um, your job for a moment. Think about um, what you have to do. Perhaps you work at a desk or a computer Think about what the Spirit has given you to do. What has the Word of God asked? It's interesting if you look um, later on in in Ephesians, if you look to uh, chapter 6, verse 7, where he's talking about the workplace, he says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. That's about being diligent, about doing what is right, about being honest and let your yes be yes, your no be no. But what if, what if your boss uh, asks you to do more than you could cope with? Out of respect and honesty and doing what is right, maybe you need to say something. Maybe that means you get looked uh, over for a promotion or a, a bonus or you, you only get an average annual report But you see, the spirit-filled Christian is led by the Spirit. And he's not wanting you um, to be like the drunk person, loads and loads of activity, flailing about all over the place, loads of flapping, lots of frenetic activity. Suddenly, what happens when you get to that point? You get exhausted, don't you? And you sleep. And you get fatigued. And I wonder whether you've ever tried to wake up a person who is drunk. You know, you say, say, wake up, Johnny. And you shake them, wake up, Johnny. But you can't do it because they're totally fatigued. But that's what can happen to a person who is not filled by the Spirit. Because you're not seeking to please the Lord. You're seeking to please people. A spirit-filled person is someone under the control, under the balance, under the poise, under the composure of the Holy Spirit. I suppose, are you? That's a question for, for us this morning. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the spirit-filled life is a life of stimulation. 
Being spirit-filled is not only the opposite of being drunk, it also has a similarity too, which is why Paul uses the illustration of drunkenness to, to illustrate what a true life in the spirit is like. I mean, ask yourself for a moment, why do people look to drink? Well, one important reason is because they have problems in their life problems that they can't face. So drink, what does it do? It covers up those problems. It's a sort of form of escapism. It takes your mind off them. So drink becomes a way of, if you like, blocking out the meaning of life, isn't it? Blocking out reality. Because the problems seem to take away. Another reason people um, drink is to get courage, isn't it? We, we talk about getting Dutch courage. Um, you're not so much thinking, therefore, about the consequences of your actions. As pharmacologists will tell you, what does it do to your brain? It knocks out the higher receptors in your brain so that um, you don't see the ramifications of certain activity. Some people also drink so they can actually share more openly the things that are on their, their mind. Um, I remember in Manchester, some of the most, when I was at university, some of the most open conversations I had with people were often in pubs and bars of, of Canal Street um, once people had actually had too much to drink because they tend to open up. But during the week, when I saw them for lunch, you know, we were back to to talking about football, the weather, and, and whatever was on the TV that, that particular time. So you see, people drink for, for many reasons. For, for meaning, to be open and honest, and for courage, right? Those, that's generally why we do it. But as we said, the pharmacologists will tell you, the scientists will tell you, that alcohol is actually a depressant, isn't it? It knocks out certain receptors in our brain. So think about it. How does alcohol get you these things? Well, it's knocking out awareness. It's knocking out your awareness of reality, making you, less, uh, uh, making you see less and less, making you, your vision of what's going on narrower and narrower, actually making you less human, if you like, and more animal-like. We um, have just bought some chickens. You probably saw it on the, the clip. Um, we've got some chickens at the, the house. You won't be surprised to know that chickens do not have higher brain receptors. <laughs> um, and uh, um, a, a chicken can't think um, like a human. They can't think, oh, there's a fox I better run. What did they finish up doing? They just finish up flapping around and they die, usually. Not very successful. And so the problem with alcohol is it, it hides us from the reality of life. We just eat, feed, and lay eggs, if we're a chicken. Um, I'm probably mixing my metaphors too much here. Um, so when a fox comes, fox comes along, all it can do is flap and it's over, or it just says, oh, what nice big eyes you've got, and uh, all that stuff, what nice teeth. 
Um, but hopefully you're <laughs> not clouding what I'm trying to say. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. So what does, what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it gives you meaning. It gives you courage. It gives you the ability to be open and honest and real about yourselves. It gives you all the things that you think alcohol tries to bring. Not by sort of closing down and diminishing your view of the world, but actually opening it up, increasing it. The Spirit of God shows you the difficulties of life just as they are as difficulties. The Spirit of God shows you at the same time the sovereignty of Lord, that he's the Lord of history, who loves you and cares for you, who is in charge and will keep you steady and ready for whatever the world has to throw at you because it stimulates your vision, you have a bigger picture, a bigger vision that goes beyond this world to a greater world, a greater universe. People turn to drink to deal with their problems by blocking them out. But if you think about it, the Spirit of God... The Spirit of God gives you meaning to your life, courage to move forward, stimulates your perspective, gives you a bigger perspective to see that something even bigger than your problems is there. The Lord of all, the King of kings, the one who's made you, the one who loves you, the one who sent his son to die for you, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, That's what the Spirit does. A spiritual person has an enlarged view of who God is. It stimulates courage. It stimulates fortitude. It stimulates perseverance. It it stimulates an incredible hope. Alcohol narrows it. Narrows it. The Spirit blows it all apart and opens it up. How does this work? Well, you see what it says in verse 19. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And interesting in the parallel passage to this in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. See how those two are very, very similar. Filled with the Spirit, it says in Ephesians 5, results in all these things as being filled with the word of Christ in Colossians 3.16. To be filled with the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit filled with the word of Christ, in essence, is the same thing. It's the same thing. It's to be dominated and controlled by the Spirit is to be dominated and controlled by the word of Christ, both his word and his teaching about him. How are you doing with dealing with your worries and your concerns and your problems We're living with lots of worries and concerns at the moment. 
If we turn to alcohol, it will just depress you. It will hide reality. But the Spirit, asking to be filled with the Spirit, will, will stimulate you. It will, show you um, it will show you God's Word. And together they will melt those fears away, give you an enlarged vision of the greatness of who Christ is, with all his love and all his grace and all he has for us. So the spirit-filled life is a, is a life of real stimulation. And finally, the spirit-filled life is full of lasting joy. Verse 18, do not get drunk, but be filled. Be filled, the, the verb there, be filled. Because the reality is, if you think about drunkenness, you can't stay drunk. It doesn't matter how hard people try to stay. It's not a permanent situation, is it? But when Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit here, be filled, it's in the imperative sense. It's, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is saying to us all, be filled. You must be filled. But it's also in the present tense of the verb, which means that it's, it's ongoing. That means it lasts. It's not going to run out, no, no matter what. In John's Gospel, um, chapter 16, verse 22, on the night before Jesus goes to the cross, after he taught the disciples about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy because your joy will last, isn't it? That's what he's saying. Jesus' death and resurrection means we who believe have received the Spirit. We have lasting joy, no matter what. And we need to pray to be kept being filled with it. Did you notice in verse 19, Paul says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only a spirit-filled life will give you that joy day in, day out, every moment. Despite what is happening around you, whatever the highs and the lows, the good and the bad around us. So the spirit-filled life is a life of lasting joy no matter what. The spirit-filled life gives control, gives composure and balance. The spirit-filled life stimulates our vision, gives us a vision a bigger perspective of what's going on. Let's take a moment to, to pray. God, our Father, we um, thank you for the Holy Spirit. We recognize that, there's, that he does more than we can even mention tonight, uh, this morning. And yet we thank you for what we see in this scripture about being filled with the Spirit. We thank you for the bigger vision he gives us. 
We thank you for the control and the balance that he brings. And most of all, we thank you for the joy that comes from knowing him because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray that we would be filled with the Spirit daily, that it would enlarge in our trust and our hope in you and your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.